0: Chapter 17 of Adeline Mowbray by Amelia Alderson Opie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pam Moscato. Chapter 17. "Now then," said Adeline, her tears dropping fast as she spoke, "now then we are alone in the world. Henceforward we must be all to each other." "Is the idea a painful one, Adeline?" replied Glenmurray reproachfully. "Not so," returned Adeline, "still I can't yet forget that I had a mother, and a kind one too." and may have again impossible there is a vow in heaven against it no my plans for future happiness must be laid unmindful and independent of her they must have you and your happiness for their sole object i must live for you alone and you added she in a faltering voice must live for me i will live as long as i can replied glenmurray sighing and as one step towards it i shall keep early hours so to rest dear adeline and let us forget our sorrows as soon as possible the next morning adeline's and glenmurray's first care was to determine on their future residence it was desirable that it should be at a sufficient distance from london to deserve the name and have the conveniences of a country abode yet sufficiently near it for glenmurray to have the advice of a london physician if necessary suppose we fix at richmond said glenmurray and Adeline, to whom the idea of dwelling on a spot at once so classical and beautiful was most welcome, joyfully consented. And in a few days they were settled there in a pleasant but expensive lodging. But here, as when abroad, Glenmurray occasionally saw old acquaintances, many of whom were willing to renew their intercourse with him for the sake of being introduced to Adeline, and who, from a knowledge of her situation, presumed to pay her that sort of homage which, though not understood by her gave pangs unutterable to the delicate mind of glenmurray were she my wife they dared not pay her such marked attention said he to himself and again as delicately as he could he urged adeline to sacrifice her principles to the prejudices of society i thought replied adeline gravely that as we lived for each other we might act independent of society and serve it by our example even against its will glenmurray was silent he did not like to own how painful and mischievous he found in practice the principles which he admired in theory and adeline continued believe me glenmurray ours is the very situation calculated to urge us on in the pursuit of truth we are answerable to no one for our conduct and we can make any experiments in morals that we choose i am wholly at a loss to comprehend why you persist in urging me to marry you take care my dear glenmurray the high respect i bear your character was shaken a little by your fighting a duel in defiance of your principles and your eagerness to marry in further defiance of them may weaken my esteem if not my love adeline smiled as she said this but glenmurray thought she spoke more in earnest than she was willing to allow and alarmed at the threat he only answered you know it is for your sake merely that i speak and dropped the subject secretly resolving however that he would not walk with adeline in the fashionable promenades at the hours commonly spent there by the monde, but in spite of this precaution they could not escape the assiduities of some gay men of fashion who knew glenmurray and admired his companion and adeline at length suspected that glenmurray was jealous but in this she wronged him it was not the attention paid her but the nature of it that disturbed him nor is it to be wondered that adeline herself was eager to avoid the public walks when it is known that one of her admirers at richmond was the colonel mordaunt whom she had become acquainted with at bath colonel mordaunt cursed with every granted prayer was just beginning to feel the tedium of life when he saw adeline unexpectedly at richmond and though he felt shocked at first at beholding her in so different a situation from that in which he had first beheld her still that very situation by holding forth to him a prospect of being favored by her in his turn revived his admiration with more than its original violence and he resolved to be if possible the lover of adeline after glenmurray should have fallen a victim as he had no doubt but he would to his dangerous illness but the opportunities which he had of seeing her suddenly ceased she no longer frequented the public walks and him though he suspected it not she most studiously avoided for she could not bear to behold the alteration in his manner when he addressed her—an alteration perhaps unknown to himself. True, it was not insulting, but Adeline, who had admired him too much at Bath, not to have examined with minute attention the almost timid expression of his countenance, and the respectfulness of his manner when he addressed her, shrunk abashedly from the ardent and impassioned expression with which he now met her. An expression which adeline used to call looking like sir patrick and which indicated even to her inexperience that the admiration which he felt was of a nature less pure and flattering than the one which she excited before and though in her own eyes she appeared as worthy of respect as ever she was forced to own even to herself that persons in general would be of a contrary opinion but in vain did she resolve to walk very early in a morning only being fully persuaded that she should then meet no one colonel mordaunt was as wakeful as she was and being convinced that she walked during some part of the day and probably early in the morning he resolved to watch near the door of her lodgings in hopes to obtain an hour's conversation with her the consequence was that he saw adeline one morning walk pensively and alone down the shady road that leads from the terrace to petersham this opportunity was not to be overlooked and he overtook and accosted her with such an expression of pleasure on his countenance as was sufficient to alarm the now suspicious delicacy of adeline and conscious as she was that glenmurray beheld colonel mordaunt's attentions with pain a deep blush overspread her cheek at his approach while her eyes were timidly cast down colonel mordaunt saw her emotion and attributed it to a cause flattering to his vanity it even encouraged him to seize her hand and while he openly congratulated himself on his good fortune in meeting her alone he presumed to press her hand to his lips adeline indignantly withdrew it and replied very coldly to his inquiries concerning her health but where have you hidden yourself lately cried he Oh, miss mowbray loveliest and i may add most beloved of women! how have i longed to see you alone and pour out my whole soul to you adeline answered this rhapsody by a look of astonishment only, being silent from disgust and consternation. While involuntarily, she quickened her pace, as if wishing to avoid him. "'Oh, hear me, and hear me patiently,' he resumed. "'You must have noticed the effects which your charms produced on me at Bath, and may I dare to add that my attentions then did not seem displeasing to you?' "'Sir,' interrupted Adeline, sighing deeply, "'my situation is now changed, and—' "'I think is so. I thank fortune that it is so.' replied colonel mordaunt and i am happy to say it is changed by no crime of mine here adeline started and turned pale but i were unworthy all chance of happiness were i to pass by the seeming opportunity of being blessed which the alteration to which you allude holds forth to me here he paused as if in embarrassment but adeline was unable to interrupt him miss mowbray he at length continued i am told that you are not on good terms with your mother Nay i have heard that she has renounced you may i presume to ask if this be true it is answered adeline trembling with emotion then before long it is probable that you will be without without a protector adeline turned round and fixed her eyes wildly upon him to be sure continued he avoiding her steadfast gaze i could wish to call you mine this moment But unhappy as you appear to be in your present situation i know unlike many women circumstanced as you are you are too generous and noble-minded to be capable of forsaking in his last illness the man whom in his happier moments you honored with your love as he said this adeline her lips parched with agitation and breathing short caught hold of his arm and pressing her cold hand he went on therefore i will not venture even to wish to be honored with a kind look from you till mr glenmurray is removed to a happier world but then dearest of women you whom i loved without hope of possessing you and whom i now dote upon to madness i conjure you to admit my visits and let my attentions prevail on you to accept my protection and allow me to devote the remainder of my days to love and you merciful heaven exclaimed adeline clasping her hands together to what insults am i reserved insults echoed colonel mordaunt yes sir replied adeline you have insulted me grossly insulted me and know not the woman whom you have tortured to the very soul hear me hear me miss mowbray exclaimed colonel mordaunt almost as much agitated as herself by heaven i meant not to insult you and perhaps i perhaps i have been misinformed no yes yes it must be so your indignation proves that i have you are no doubt and on my knees i implore your pardon you are the wife of mr glenmurray and suppose i am not his wife cried adeline is it then given to a wife only to be secure from being insulted by offers horrible to the delicacy and wounding to the sensibility like those which i have heard from you but before colonel mordaunt could reply adeline's thoughts had reverted to what he had said of glenmurray's certain danger and unable to bear this confirmation of her fears with the speed of frenzy she ran towards home and did not stop till she was in sight of her lodging and the still closed curtain of her apartment met her view he is still sleeping then she exclaimed and i have time to recover myself and endeavour to hide from him the emotion of which i could not tell the reason so saying she softly entered the house and by the time glenmurray rose she had regained her composure still there was a look of anxiety on her fine countenance which could not escape the penetrating eye of love why are you so grave this morning said glenmurray as adeline seated herself at the breakfast table i feel much better and more cheerful to-day but you are indeed better replied adeline fixing her tearful eyes on him or i much deceive myself said glenmurray thank god devoutly replied adeline i thought i thought here tears choked her utterance and glenmurray drew from her a confession of her anxious fears for him though she prudently resolved not to agitate him by telling him of the rencontre with colonel mordaunt but when the continued assurances of glenmurray that he was better and the animation of his countenance had in a degree removed her fears for his life she had leisure to revert to another source of uneasiness and to dwell on the insult which she had experienced from colonel mordaunt's offer of protection how strange and irrational thought adeline are the prejudices of society because an idle ceremony has not been muttered over me at the altar i am liable to be thought a woman of vicious inclinations and to be exposed to the most daring insults as these reflections occurred to her she could scarcely help regretting that her principles would not allow her delicacy and virtue to be placed under the sacred shelter bestowed by that ceremony which she was pleased to call idle and she was not long without experiencing still further hardships from the situation in which she had persisted so obstinately to remain their establishment consisted of a footman and a maid-servant but the latter had of late been so remiss in the performance of her duties and so impertinent when reproved for her faults that adeline was obliged to give her warning warning indeed replied the girl a mighty hardship truly i can promise you i did not mean to stay long it is no such favor to live with a kept miss and if you come to that i think i am as good as you shocked surprised and unable to answer adeline took refuge in a room never before had she been accosted by her inferiors without respectful attention and now owing to her situation even a servant-maid thought herself authorized to insult her and to raise herself to her level but surely said adeline mentally i ought to reason with her and try to convince her that i am in reality as virtuous as if i were glenmurray's wife instead of his mistress accordingly she went back to the kitchen but a resolution failed her when she found the footman there listening with a broad grin on his countenance to the relation which mary was giving him of the fine trimming which she had given madam scarcely did the presence of adeline interrupt or restrain her but at last she turned round and said and pray have you got anything to say to me nothing more now meekly replied adeline unless you will follow me to my chamber with all my heart cried the girl and adeline returned to her own room i wish mary to set you right said adeline with respect to my situation you called me i think a kept miss and seemed to think ill of me why to be sure ma'am replied mary a little alarmed everybody says you are a kept lady and so i made no bones of saying so but I am sure, if so be you are not so, why, I ax pardon. But what do you mean by the term kept lady? Why, a lady who lives with a man without being married to him, I take it. And that I take to be your case, ain't it, I pray? Adeline blushed and was silent. It certainly was her case. However, she took courage and went on. But mistresses, or kept ladies in general, are women of bad character, and would live with any man. But I never loved, nor ever shall love, any man, but, Glenmurray, I look on myself as his wife in the sight of God, nor will I quit him till death shall separate us. Then if so be that, you don't want to change, I think you might as well be married to him. Adeline was again silent for a moment, but continued, Mr. Glenmurray would marry me to-morrow if I chose. Indeed, well, if Master is inclined to make an honest woman of you, you had better take him at his word, I think. Gracious heaven! cried Adeline, what an expression! why will you persist to confound me with those deluded women who are victims of their own weakness?' "'As to that,' replied Mary, "'you talk too fine for me, but a fact is a fact. Are you, or are you not my master's wife?' "'I am not. Why, then, you are his mistress, and a kept lady to all intents and purposes. So what signifies arguifying the matter? I lived with a kept madam before, and she was as good as you, for I ought know,' Adeline, shocked and disappointed told her she might leave the room. "'I am going,' pertly answered Mary, "'and to seek for a place. "'But I must beg that you will not own "'you are no better than you should be "'when a lady comes to ask my character. "'For then, perhaps, I should not get any one to take me. "'I shall call you Mrs. Glenmurray.' "'But I shall not call myself so,' replied Adeline. "'I will not say what is not true, on any account. "'There now, there's spite, "'and yet you pretend to call yourself a gentlewoman, "'and to be better than other kept ladies.' why you are not worthy to tie the shoe-strings of my last mistress she did not mind telling a lie rather than lose a poor servant a place and she called herself a married woman rather than hurt me neither she nor you then replied adeline gravely were sensible of what great importance a strict adherence to veracity is to the interests of society i am and for the sake of mankind i will always tell the truth you had better tell one innocent lie for mine replied the girl pertly I dare to say the world will neither know nor care anything about it, and I can tell you I shall expect you will. So saying, she shut the door with violence, leaving Adeline mournfully musing on the distresses attending on her situation, and even disposed to question the propriety of remaining in it. The inquietude of her mind, as usual, showed itself in her countenance, and involved her in another difficulty, to make Glenmurray uneasy by an avowal of what had passed between her and mary was impossible yet how could she conceal it from him and while she was deliberating on this point glenmurray entered the room and tenderly inquired what had so evidently disturbed her nothing of any consequence she faltered out and burst into tears could nothing of consequence produce such emotion answered glenmurray but i am ashamed to own the cause of my uneasiness ashamed to own it to me adeline to be sure you have a great deal to fear From my severity he said faintly smiling adeline for a moment resolved to tell him the whole truth but fearful of throwing him into a degree of agitation hurtful to his weak frame she who had the moment before so nobly supported the necessity of a strict adherence to truth condescended to equivocate and evade and turning away her head while a conscious blush overspread her cheek she replied You know that i look forward with anxiety and uneasiness to the time of my approaching confinement glenmurray believed her and overcome by some painful feelings which fears for himself and anxiety for her occasioned him he silently pressed her to his bosom and choked with contending emotions returned to his own apartment and i have stooped to the meanness of disguising the truth cried adeline clasping her hands convulsively together surely surely there must be something radically wrong in a situation which exposes one to such a variety of degradations mary meanwhile had gone in search of a place and having found the lady to whom she had been advised to offer herself at home she returned to tell adeline that mrs pemberton would call in half an hour to inquire her character the half hour an anxious one to adeline having elapsed a lady knocked at the door and inquired and adeline's hearing for mrs glenmurray tell the lady cried adeline immediately from the top of the staircase that miss mowbray will wait on her directly the footman obeyed and mrs pemberton was ushered into the parlor and now for the first time in her life adeline trembled to approach a stranger for the first time she felt that she was going to appear before a fellow-creature as an object of scorn and though an enthusiast for virtue to be considered as a votary of vice but it was a mortification which she must submit to undergo and hastily throwing a large shawl over her shoulders to hide her figure as much as possible with a trembling hand she opened the door and found herself in the dreaded presence of mrs pemberton nor was she at all reassured when she found that lady dressed in the neat modest garb of a strict quaker a garb which creates an immediate idea in the mind of more than common rigidness of principles and sanctity of conduct and the wearer of it adeline curtsied in silence mrs pemberton bowed her head courteously then with a countenance of great sweetness and a voice calculated to inspire confidence said i believe thy name is mowbray but i came to see mrs glenmurray and as on these occasions i always wish to confer with the principal wouldst thou if it be not inconvenient ask the mistress of mary to let me see her i am myself the mistress of mary replied adeline in a faint voice i ask thine excuse answered mrs pemberton reseating herself as thou art mrs glenmurray thou art the person i wanted to see here adeline changed color overcome with the consciousness that she ought to undeceive her and the sense of a difficulty of doing so but thou art very pale and seemest uneasy continued the gentle quaker i hope thy husband is not worse mr glenmurray but not my husband said adeline is better to-day art thou not married asked mrs pemberton with quickness i am not and yet thou livest with the gentleman i named and art the person whom mary called mrs glenmurray i am replied adeline her paleness yielding to a deep crimson and her eyes filling with tears mrs pemberton sat for a minute in silence then rising with an air of cold dignity i fear thy servant is not likely to suit me she observed And I will not detain thee any longer. She can be an excellent servant, faltered out adeline. Very likely, but there are objections. So saying, she reached the door. But as she passed adeline, she stopped, interested and affected by the mournful expression of her countenance and the visible effort she made to retain her tears. Adeline saw and felt humbled at the compassion which her countenance expressed, and to be an object of pity was as mortifying as to be an object of scorn and she turned her eyes on mrs pemberton with a look of proud indignation but they met those of mrs pemberton fixed on her with a look of such benevolence that her anger was instantly subdued and it occurred to her that she might make the benevolent compassion visible in mrs pemberton's countenance serviceable to her discarded servant stay madam she cried as mrs pemberton was about to leave the room allow me a moment's conversation with you mrs pemberton with an eagerness which she suddenly endeavoured to check returned to her seat i suspect said adeline gathering courage from the conscious kindness of her motive that your objection to take mary warner into your service proceeds wholly from the situation of her present mistress thou judgest rightly was mrs pemberton's answer nor do i wonder continued adeline that you make this objection when i consider the present prejudices of society prejudices softly exclaimed the benevolent quaker adeline faintly smiled and went on but surely you will allow that in a family quiet and secluded as ours and in daily contemplation of a union uninterrupted faithful and virtuous and possessing all the sacredness of marriage though without the name it is not likely that the young woman in question should have imbibed any vicious habits or principles but in contemplating thy union itself she has lived in the contemplation of vice and thou wilt own that by having given it an air of respectability thou hast only made it more dangerous on this point cried adeline i see we must disagree i shall therefore without further preamble inform you madam that mary aware of the difficulty of procuring a service if it were known that she had lived with a kept mistress as the phrase is Here an indignant blush overspread the face of Adeline. Desired me to call myself the wife of Glenmurray, but this, from my abhorrence of all falsehood, I peremptorily refused. And thou didst well, exclaimed Miss Pemberton, and I respect thy resolution. But my sincerity will, I fear, prevent the poor girl's obtaining other reputable places, and I, alas, am not rich enough to make her amends for the injury which my conscience forces me to do her but if you madam could be prevailed upon to take her into your family even for a short time only to wipe away the disgrace which her living with me has brought upon her why can she not remain with thee asked mrs pemberton hastily because she neglected her duty and when reproved for it replied in a very injurious language presuming probably on thy way of life i must confess that she has reproached me with it and this was all her fault it was She can be an excellent servant. Thou hast said enough. Thy conscience shall not have the additional burthen to bear of having deprived a poor girl of her maintenance. I will take her. A thousand thanks to you, replied Adeline. You have removed a weight off my mind, but my conscience, I bless God, has none to bear. No, returned Mrs. Pemberton. Dost thou deem thy conduct blameless in the eyes of that being whom thou hast just blessed? As far, far as my connection with miss glenmurray is concerned i do indeed nay doubt me not believe me that i never wantonly violated the truth and that even an evasion which i for the first time in my life was guilty of to-day has given me a pang to which i will not again expose myself and yet inconsistent beings as we are cried mrs pemberton straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel what is the guilt of the evasion which weighs on thy mind Compared to that of living as thou dost compared to that of living as thou dost at an illicit commerce, surely, surely thine heart accuses thee for thy face bespeaks uneasiness, and thou wilt listen to the whispers of penitence and leave ere long the man who has betrayed thee. The man who has betrayed me, Mr. Glenmurray, is no betrayer; he is one of the best human beings. No madam, if I had acceded. To his wishes I should long ago have been his wife, but from a conviction of the folly of marriage I have preferred living with him without the performance of a ceremony which in the eye of reason can confer neither honor nor happiness. Poor thing, exclaimed Mrs. Pemberton, rising as she spoke, I understand thee now. Thou art one of the enlightened, as they call themselves. Thou art one of those wise in their own conceit who disregarding the customs of ages and the dictates of experience set up their own opinions against the hallowed institutions of men and the will of the most high can you blame me interrupted adeline for acting according to what i think right but hast thou well studied the subject on which thou hast decided yet alas to thee how vain must be the voice of admonition she continued her countenance kindling into strong expression as she spoke from the poor victim of passion and persuasion, penitence and amendment might be rationally expected, and she from the path of frailty might turn again to that of virtue, but for one like thee, glorying in thine iniquity and erring not from the too tender heart, but the vain glorious head, for thee there is, I fear, no blessed return to the right way, and I, who would have tarried with thee, even in the house of sin, to have reclaimed thee, penitent now hasten from thee, and for ever, firm as thou art in guilt. As she said this, she reached the door, while Adeline, affected by her emotion, and distressed by her language, stood silent and almost abashed before her. But with her hand on the lock she turned round, and in a gentler voice said, Yet not even against a willful offender like thee should one gate that may lead to amendment be shut. Thy situation and thy fortunes may soon be greatly changed, affliction may subdue thy pride and the counsel of a friend of thine own sex might then sound sweetly in thine ears should that time come i will be that friend i am now about to set off for lisbon with a great dear friend about whom i feel as solicitous as thou art thy glenmurray and there i shall remain some time here then is my address and if thou shouldst want my advice or assistance write to me and be assured that rachel pemberton Will try to forget thy errors in thy distresses. So saying, she left the room, but returned again before adeline had recovered herself from the various emotions which she had experienced during her address to ask her Christian name. But when adeline replied, My name is Adeline Mowbray, Mrs. Pemberton started and eagerly exclaimed, Art thou adeline mowbray of Gloucester, the young heiress as she was called of Rose Valley? I was once, replied adeline, sinking back into a chair. Adeline Mowbray of Rose Valley. Mrs. Pemberton for a few minutes gazed on her in mournful silence. And art thou, she cried, Adeline Mowbray? Art thou that courteous, blooming, blessed being, for every tongue that I heard name thee blessed thee, whom I saw only three years ago, bounding over thy native hills, all grace and joy and innocence? Adeline tried to speak, but her voice failed her. Art thou she, continued Mrs. Pemberton, whom I saw also leaning from the window of her mother's mansion and inquiring with the countenance of a pitying angel concerning the health of a wan laborer who limped past the door adeline hid her face with her hands mrs pemberton went on in a lower tone of voice i came with some companions to see thy mother's grounds and to hear the nightingales in her groves but here mrs pemberton's voice faltered i have seen a sight so far beyond that of the proudest mansion said i to those who asked me of thy mother's seat i have heard what was sweeter to my ear than the voice of the nightingale i have seen a blooming girl nursed in idleness and prosperity yet active in the discharge of every christian duty and i have heard her speak in the soothing accents of kindness and of pity while her name was followed by blessings and parents prayed to have a child like her o lost unhappy girl such was adeline mowbray and often very often has thy graceful image recurred to my remembrance but how art thou changed where is the open eye of happiness where is the bloom that spoke a heart at peace with itself i repeat it and i repeat it with agony father of mercies is this thy adeline mowbray here overcome with emotions mrs pemberton paused but adeline could not break silence she rose she stretched out her hand as if going to speak But her utterance failed her and again she sunk on a chair it was thine resumed mrs pemberton in a faint and broken voice to diffuse happiness around thee and to enjoy wealth unhated because thy hand dispensed nobly the riches which it had received bounteously when the ear heard thee then it blessed thee when the eye saw thee it gave witness to thee and yet here again she paused and raised her fine eyes to heaven for a few minutes as if in prayer then pressing adeline's hand with an almost convulsive grasp she drew her bonnet over her face as if eager to hide the emotion which she was unable to subdue and suddenly left the house while adeline stunned and overwhelmed by the striking contrast which mrs pemberton had drawn between her past and present situation remained for some minutes motionless on her seat a prey to a variety of feelings which she dared not venture to analyze but amidst the variety of her feelings adeline soon found that sorrow sorrow of the bitterest kind was uppermost mrs pemberton had said that she was about to be visited by affliction alluding there was no doubt to the probable death of glenmurray and was his fate so certain that it was the theme of conversation at richmond were only her eyes blind to the certainty of his danger on these ideas did adeline chiefly dwell after the departure of her monitress and in an agony unspeakable she entered the room where glenmurray was sitting in order to look at him and form her own judgment on a subject of such importance but alas she found him with the brilliant deceitful appearance that attends his complaint a bloom resembling health on his cheek and a brightness in his eye rivalling that of the undimmed lustre of youth surprised delighted and overcome by these appearances which her inexperience rendered her incapable of appreciating justly adeline threw herself on a sofa by him and as she pressed her cold cheek to his glowing one her tearful eye was raised to heaven with an expression of devout thankfulness mrs pemberton paid you a long visit said glenmurray and i thought once by the elevated tone of her voice that she was preaching to you i believe she was cheerfully replied adeline and now i have a confession to make the season of reserve shall be over and i will tell you all the adventures of this day without evasion ay i thought you were not ingenuous with me this morning replied glenmurray but better late than never adeline then told him all that had passed between her and mary and mrs pemberton and concluded with saying but the surety of your better health which your looks give me have dissipated every uneasiness and if you are but spared to me sorrow cannot reach me and i despise the censure of the ignorant and the prejudiced the world approve what is the world to me the conscious mind is its own awful world glenmurray sighed deeply as she concluded her narration i have only one request to make said he never let that mary come into my presence again and be sure to take care of mrs pemberton's address adeline promised that both his requests should be attended to mary was paid her wages and dismissed immediately and a girl being hired to supply her place the menage went on quietly again but a new mortification awaited glenmurray and adeline in spite of glenmurray's eccentricities and opinions he was still remembered with interest by some of the female part of his family and two of his cousins more remarkable for their beauty than their virtue hearing that he was at richmond made known of him their intention of paying him a morning visit on their way to their country seat in the neighborhood most unwelcome visitors indeed cried glenmurray throwing the letter down i will write to them and forbid them to come that's impossible replied adeline for by this time they must be on the road if you look at the date of the letter besides i wish you to receive them i should like to see any relations or friends of yours especially those who have liberality of sentiment enough to esteem you as you deserve you you see them exclaimed glenmurray pacing the room impatiently oh adeline that is impossible i understand you replied adeline changing color they will not deem me worthy forcing a smile to be introduced to them and therefore would i forbid their coming i cannot bear to exclude you from my presence in order that i may receive them no when they arrive i will send them word that i am unable to see them while they will attribute the refusal to the influence of the creature who lives with you no glenmurray for my sake i must insist on your not being denied to them and believe me i should consider myself as unworthy to be the choice of your heart if i were not able to bear with firmness the mortification like that which awaits me but you allow it to be a mortification yes it is mortifying to a woman who knows herself to be virtuous and is an idolater of virtue to pay the penalty of vice and be thought unworthy to associate with the relations of the man whom she loves they shall not come i protest exclaimed glenmurray but adeline with resolute and she carried her point soon after this conversation the ladies arrived and adeline shut herself up in her own apartment where she gave way to no very pleasant reflections nor was she entirely satisfied with glenmurray's conduct true he had earnestly and sincerely wished to refuse to see his unexpected and unwelcome guests but he had never once expressed a desire of combating their prejudices for adeline's sake and an intention of requesting that she might be introduced to them but as any common man would have done under similar circumstances he was contented to do homage to the things as they are without an effort to resist the prejudice to which he was superior alas cried adeline when can we hope to see society enlightened and improved when even those who see and strive to amend its faults in theory in practice tamely submit to the trammels which it imposes an hour a tedious hour to adeline having elapsed glenmurray's visitors departed and by the disappointment that adeline experienced at hearing the door close on them she felt that she had had a secret hope of being summoned to be presented to them and with a bitter feeling of mortification she reflected that she was probably to the man whom she adored a shame and a reproach yet i should like to see them she said running to the window as the carriage drove up and the ladies entered it at that moment they whether from curiosity to see her or accident looked up at the window where she was adeline stared back indignant and confused for thrusting their heads eagerly forward they looked at her with the bold unfeeling stare of imagined superiority and adeline in spite of her reason sunk abashed and conscious from their gaze and this insult exclaimed she clasping her hands and bursting into tears i experience from glenmurray's relations i think i could have borne it better from any one else she had not recovered her disorder when glenmurray entered the room and tenderly embracing her exclaimed never never again my love will i submit to such a sacrifice as i have now made when seeing her in tears too well aware of the cause he gave way to such a passionate burst of tenderness and regret that adeline terrified at his agitation though soothed by his fondness affected the cheerfulness which she did not feel and promised to drive the intruders from her remembrance had glenmurray and adeline known the real character of the unwelcome visitors neither of them would have regretted that adeline was not presented to them one of them was married and to so accommodating a husband, that his wife's known gallant was his intimate friend, and, under the sanction of his protection, she was received everywhere, and visited by everyone, as the world did not think proper, to be more clear-sighted than the husband himself chose to be. The other lady was a young and attractive widow, who coquetted with many men, but intrigued with only one at a time, for which self-denial she was rewarded by being allowed to pass unquestioned through the portals of fashionable society but these ladies would have scorned to associate with adeline and adeline had she known their private history would certainly have returned the compliment but the peace of adeline was soon after disturbed in another way glenmurray finding himself disposed to sleep in the middle of the day his cough having kept him awake all night adeline took her usual walk and returned by the churchyard the bell was tolling and as she passed she saw a funeral enter the churchyard and instantly averted her head in doing so her eyes fell on a decent-looking woman who with a sort of angry earnestness was watching the progress of the procession eh hey, there goes your body you rogue she exclaimed indignantly but i wonder where your soul is now where i would not be for something adeline was shocked and gently observed what crime did the person of whom you are speaking that you should suppose his soul so painfully disposed of what crime returned the woman crime enough i think why he ruined a poor girl here in the neighborhood and then because he never chose to make a will there is she lying in a little by-blow with not a farthing of money to maintain her or the child and the fellow's money is gone to the heir at law scarce of kin to him while his own flesh and blood is left to starve adeline shuddered if glenmurray were to die she and the child she bore would she knew be beggars well miss or madam be like by the look of you continued the woman glancing her eyes over adeline's person what say you don't you think the fellow soul is where we should not like to be however he had his hell here too to be sure for when speechless and unable to move his fingers he seemed by signs to ask for pen and ink and he looked in agonies and there was the poor young woman crying over him and holding in her arms her poor destitute baby who would as he grew up be taught he must think to curse the wicked father who begot him and the naughty mother who bore him adeline turned very sick and was forced to seat herself on a tombstone curse the mother who bore him she inwardly repeated and will my child curse me rather let me undergo the rites i have despised and instantly starting from her seat she ran down the road to her lodgings resolving to propose to glenmurray their immediate marriage but is the possession of property then she said to herself as she stopped to take breath so supreme a good that the want of it through the means of his mother should dispose a child to curse that mother no my child shall be taught to consider nothing valuable but virtue nothing disgraceful but vice fool that i am a bugbear frightened me and to my foolish fears i was about to sacrifice my own principles and the respectability of glenmurray no let his property go to the heir-at-law let me be forced to labor to support my babe when its father here a flood of tears put an end to her soliloquy and slowly and pensively she returned home but the conversation of the woman in the churchyard haunted her while walking and continuing to distress her in her dreams that night and she was resolved to do all she could to relieve the situation of the poor destitute girl and child in whose fate she might possibly see in anticipation of her own and as soon as breakfast was over and glenmurray was engaged in his studies she walked out to make the projected inquiries the season of the year was uncommonly fine and the varied scenery visible from the terrace was at the moment of adeline's approach to it glowing with more than common beauty adeline stood for some minutes gazing on it in silent delight when her reverie was interrupted by the sound of boyish merriment and she saw at one end of the terrace some well-dressed boys at play alas regardless of their doom the little victims play immediately recurred to her for contemplating the probable evils of existence she was darkly brooding over the imagined fate of her own offspring should it live to see the light and the children of their sport having no care of ills to come naturally engaged her attention but these happy children ceased to interest her When she saw standing at a distance from the group and apparently looking at it with an eye of envy a little boy even better dressed than the rest who was sobbing violently yet ardently trying to conceal his grief and while she was watching the young mourner attentively he suddenly threw himself on a seat and taking out his handkerchief indignantly and impatiently wiped away the tears that would no longer be restrained poor child thought adeline seating herself beside him "'And has affliction reached thee so soon?' The child was beautiful, and his clustering locks seemed to have been combed with so much care. The frill of his shirt was so fine, and had been so very neatly plaited, and his sunburnt neck and hands were so very clean, that Adeline was certain he was the darling object of some fond mother's attention. "'And yet he is unhappy!' she inwardly exclaimed. "'When my fate resembled his, how happy I was!' but from recollections like these she always hastened and checking the rising sigh she resolved to enter into conversation with the little boy what is the matter she cried no answer why are you not playing with the young gentleman yonder she had touched the right string and bursting into tears he sobbed out because they won't let me no and why will they not let you to this he replied not but sullenly hung his blushing face on his bosom perhaps you have made them angry gently asked adeline oh no no cried the boy but but what here he turned from her and with his nail began scratching the arm of the seat well this is very strange and seems very unkind cried adeline i will speak to them so saying she drew near the other children who had interrupted their play to watch adeline and their rejected playmate what can be the reason she said that you will not let that little boy play with you the boys looked down and said nothing is he ill-natured no does he not play fair yes don't you like him yes then why do you make him unhappy by not letting him join in your sport tell the lady jack cries one and jack the biggest boy of the party said because he is not a gentleman's son like us and is only a little bastard yes cried one of the other children and his mamma is so proud she dresses him finer than we are for all he is base born and our papas and mammas don't think him fit company for us They might have gone on for an hour adeline could not interrupt them the cause of the child's affliction was a dagger in her heart and while she listened to the now redoubled sobs of the disgraced and proudly afflicted boy she was driven almost to frenzy for such she exclaimed may one time or other be the pangs of my child and so to him may the hours of childhood be embittered again she seated herself by the little mourner and her tears accompanied his my dear child you had better go home she said struggling with her feelings your mother will certainly be glad of your company no i won't go to her i don't love her they say she is a bad woman and my papa is a bad man because they are not married again adeline's horrors returned but my dear they love you no doubt and you ought to love them she replied with effort there there comes your papa cried one of the boys go and cry to him go at these words adeline looked up and saw an elegant-looking man approaching with a look of anxiety charles my dear boy what has happened said he taking his hand which the boy sullenly withdrew come home directly continued his father and tell me what is the matter as we go along but again snatching his hand away the proud and deeply wounded child resentfully pushed the shoulder next to him forward whenever his father tried to take his arm and elbowed him angrily as he went adeline felt the child's action to the bottom of her heart it was a volume of reproach to the father and she sighed to think what the parents if they had hearts must feel when the afflicted boy told the cause of his grief but unhappy boy perhaps my child may live to bless you she exclaimed clasping her hands together never never will i expose my child to the pangs which you have experienced to-day so saying she returned instantly to her lodgings and having just strength left to enter glenmurray's room she faintly exclaimed for pity's sake make me your wife to-morrow and fell senselessly to the floor on her recovery she saw glenmary pale with agitation yet with an expression of satisfaction on his countenance bending over her adeline my dearest life he whispered as her head lay on his bosom blessed be the words you have spoken whatever be their cause to-morrow you shall be my wife and then our child would be legitimate will it not she eagerly replied it will Thank God! cried adeline, and relapsed into a fainting fit. For it was not decreed that the object of her maternal solicitude should ever be born to reward it. Anxiety and agitation had had a fatal effect on the health of adeline, and the day after her recounter on the terrace she brought forth a dead child. End of chapter seventeen. Recording by Pam Moscato.